Hello, this is Mirella. Just a quick note to let you know that this episode was recorded before isolation measures were implemented. We've held it back for the past few weeks so we could focus on pandemic-related content, which we thought was important to share. We really love this episode, and we hope you will too. Enjoy. Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, the delights of eating with your hands, finding the bliss point, molecular coffee, and sweet bacon snacks. Okay, what have you brought? What have you brought this week? I brought the, it's, a, I would say, an interesting study. It has mm-hmm. me maybe more perplexed than anything else. Yeah, tell me why. And, yes, or um, yeah, let's hear about it first. It's a research that was done at the Stevens Institute of Technology. Thank you. And it has to do with eating with hands. Okay. The study has found that people do find food tastier when they're using their hands, mm-hmm. except for they zeroed in on a specific type of person, which they call high self-control Yeah, people. yeah, yeah, yeah. So their results suggest that for people who regularly control their food consumption, which I mean at this stage is probably 90% it's, it's of the kind of everybody, exactly. Uh, but direct touch triggers and enhances sensory response, making food more desirable and appealing. And it's this control piece uh-huh. that has me really thinking because it tends to imply that there's something, you know, visceral or transgressive yes. about eating with your hands. Yes. And it made me think about etiquette. Totally. Uh, of eating with hands. Because I know that I always eat chicken on the bone with my hands, mm-hmm. no matter where I am. Because I know that worst case scenario, if someone's grandmother chides me, that in the bu- rules of etiquette, right. you can Emily Post said that it was in okay. There. Right. And so I, I, I just, for fun, thought I would locate all of the foods that you're allowed. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is a really good. Yeah. This is, tell me, tell me, tell ready? me. Yes. I thought you'd be entertained. I'd love it. So uh, artichokes. Yes. As long as, uh, and that's in the case where you're actually peeling, peeling each and dipping, piece off right? uh, individually. Asparagus, only if there's no sauce. Mm-hmm. The unsauced asparagus unsauced. is my favorite. Yes. Yeah. Uh, bacon, again, if it's dry, if it's not dripping with grease. Bacon. You, yeah, you are allowed. Mm. Bread. Yep. Cookies. Nice. Obviously. That would be hard to tackle with a knife and fork. Yeah. Corn on the cob. Chips. French fries. Chicken served on the bone, as we mentioned. Hamburgers are okay, which surprises me because a lot of people pull out the knife and fork with hamburgers. With a hamburger. It 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 not only seems crazy, it It looks crazy. (laughs) Um uh, hors d'oeuvre, which I don't know how you say in English. Yes. Hors d'oeuvres. Hors d'oeuvres. Terrible. Hors Canapes. Crudité. Yep. Oysters. Okay. Shrimp, as long as it has the little as tail, has the tail handle. on the end. Yes. Sandwiches, small fruits, and berries on the stem. That is the list. Do you know what's curiously not on there? What? Pizza. So I did find pizza on some lists, okay. but not on any authoritative list. Okay. And again, pizza is something that I often see people. I see lots of fork and knifing through pizza. It's fork true. And knives. It's true. So I, I'm guessing that one's maybe up mm-hmm. for debate. But you know, on this list is a number of quote unquote ethnic foods are missing. 
right? So yes. pizza is very Italian. It wouldn't Indeed. have been on the original British Indeed. list of what's Well, and acceptable. that's just it. Yeah. So uh, obviously I, uh, I come from a, a solid hand-eating cultural tradition. Right, that's what I right. wanted to ask and you because so I read I that article. Of, right, I you wrote, wrote this piece uh, for today's parent about uh, about there being a very mannered way to eat with your hands, and I want to hear right? all about it. And so <laughs> this, uh, so what's re- what's what I think is so fascinating about this is because uh, because I've eaten food with my hands since mm-hmm. I can remember. Um, I have always had this idea that food tastes better when delivered to your mouth by your hands. Because my whole life has had the experience of both, right? And so to back up in the piece, uh, one of the things I talk about is the the way my father taught my brother and I to eat with our hands. Uh, and he was very serious about— There's a actual etiquette Yes, to it, very much so, right? He was very serious about—because essentially we're talking about tearing off a piece of chapati or flatbread mm-hmm. and then using it to scoop up a mouthful of food. Right. Right. But it, it's like when you're eating, you do you you assemble one mouthful at a time, keeping everything else essentially clean of right. the touch of your fingers. Right. It's not like you're sort of mushing it all together and then taking it all down. And my dad used to get very serious with us about the but the length, the, the amount of mess allowed on our fingers. Oh, right. He okay. would say that we weren't allowed to make any mess beyond the first knuckle. That was the rule, and he'd give us a concession to second knuckle because we were kids and had smaller fingers. And had tiny fingers. Right, but he was like, soon you will grow up, and when you're an adult, one knuckle, right? No mess, uh, very tidy, no slurping, no, right? And and even the plate that we leave, you you bundle it up. So essentially, you do like a piece of chapati, take your little curry or whatever, the vegetables or meat that you're picking up, mm-hmm. And then you can just pop that into your mouth. Just the one bite. Just the one bite at a time. You don't make a big No, uh, it's not a big roll like, yes. and then eat it like a burrito. Not at all, right? And in the context where it's rice, mm-hmm. so it's not the flatbread boat that's scooping something up, mm-hmm. you you kind of mash it together so it holds. And then you bring it with to your, your fingers. With your fingers. And we're talking ring finger, like pointer, ring, uh, pointer, middle, ring, and baby. These four. Well, you don't use your thumb? Thumb, not so much. The, the, it's, it's, it's this kind of clawing together work. Mm-hmm. Thumb hangs out as the anchor right. because when you bring it to your mouth, the thumb is a catapult that shoots flick the it mouthful in. in. <gasps> right? And I remember when I was, and so you'll see Indian people, we do, there's a lot of, and in this process, you'll see your thumb can wipe the fingers too. To get everything really that way, your tidily, dad won't uh, exactly to get everything get really tidily your into your mouth. Um, and so, when I was reading this, and even just thinking about this list that you've just given mm-hmm. me, one of the really important things that I learned when I was writing that piece is that I had conversations with my friends who have British European heritage, mm-hmm. um, and they were talking about the the amount of conditioning and training and scolding that they have to let go of to be cool with eating anything with their hands. Right. Right. And that really spoke to, like that really con- uh, had made me connect to this article and the idea that, that it's that this law, that's release of control and that freedom it was this major and emotional a letting move go. because there's so many rules in this cultural, you know, context Not about to mention eating the, with the connection. 
Yes. Right? There's a connection that's I made there so. with I your food. So, right? And and the uh because ever we Indians eat everything, there's just spoons, but the mm-hmm. spoons are more about putting the food onto your plate than it is putting the food into your mouth. Yes. Right? It's about taking from the communal and setting your own thing up and then mm-hmm. you sort of have at it with your hands. Um, which I uh it's it's so curious for me to see the hesitation. And and I've walked people through it. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause they're like, I can't. This is and, and just the notion that you will lick your fingers and that you will get messy and that and in, in many Indian restaurants and Indian houses, there are taps and fa- and sinks conspicuously located near tables for okay. you to wash your hands before so and after, right? Because this is the thing. So if there's no tap there, is it okay in terms of the etiquette for you to lick your fingers? So clean? The, the one does not substitute for the other. Okay. Right. Hand washing always happens. Right. right? And and really there's a practical piece because if it's Indian food, there's oil and spices yeah. and all these things that will linger on your fingers. And if my mother would catch me out somewhere during the day and catch mm-hmm. a whiff of lunch or dinner on my fingers, I'd be in major also trouble. Also not great. Okay. Major trouble. But and it in makes the sense context, you're spooning from the communal bowl. Yeah. And, and then, generally with my left hand, but okay. I'm eating with my right. You know, with you generally right. don't use the hand that you're eating with to spoon out, right? There's a Hindu, a lot of, because this is about a Hindu context, there's lots of like cleanliness and purity stuff that rolls, which is also this idea that your left hand is your bathroom hand and your right hand is your eating hand. Which goes against everything that this European etiquette is about. Yeah. Uh, I was in a restaurant a couple of weeks ago and we, well, a restaurant, it was a barbecue joint and we, we had ribs. And the person across from me was eating them with a knife and fork. God bless And I was, I just went in there with my hands. But guess what? Ribs aren't on the list here. So I guess that is the proper way. That's really fascinating. I'm guessing that the uh, Stevens Institute of Technology is not maybe the most diverse. Yeah, well, this is As they were conducting this This study, if this... Because it's definitely this transgression piece. It, if we're talking about control is, people. It clearly, right? You know, people who felt who were not feeling controlling yeah. about their food, there was no difference whether they right. were eating with their hands right. or not. So um, it's about the restraint and the distance between you and your food too, yeah. right? Certainly knowing you yeah. and ha- having had this insight into your culture, mm-hmm. I, I think this study, you know, is geared. There's a bit of they, they should bias, have. Yeah. I think they should have mentioned that. I think so too, that, because it's not yeah. it's not a mystery. You can't right? make a generalization there. No, no, you can't. Joshnar, are you familiar with the Bliss Point? I, I wasn't. I was not before this. Oh my, okay, let me tell you this. Yeah, tell me. Because I'm going to guess that you haven't seen that sugar film. No, which I haven't. Is a documentary no, I know that the one you're talking about. I haven't seen it. Yes. Just, you know, be prepared to be upset watching it. But um, so it's a documentary. uh, I think it's an Australian man. And he decides over the course of 60 days to consume the average U.S. consumption of sugars every day. Okay. So the average amount of sugar that people eat per day. and The existing, not the recommended. The existing, not the recommended. And he does it all. He doesn't just add you know, packets of sugar to his diet, it's all hidden sugars. So he eats the exact same calories as he would normally, but switches what he eats. And then his food, his body just, it's pretty impactful. Uh Anyway, long story short, that was the first time I heard about the Bliss Point because he talks about it. 
And the bliss point was discovered by this man named Howard Moskowitz, Mm -hmm. who is a psychophysicist. He works in marketing. Okay. And he, I mean, we all know that when you eat sugar, your brain uh, loves it, releases a little dopamine. Yep. Right. And so what he figured out is that if you take a food and uh, add a bit of sugar and then add a bit more sugar, add a bit more sugar, add a bit and have people taste it. They will like it more, more, Mm. more, more. And then there's a point at which you add sugar and they like it less. Mm. So the bliss point Uh is that absolute maximum amount of sugar. It's that peak sugar in the mouthful. peak deliciousness. Mm. And so he started there and then he's now expanded it. And now it refers to uh, the ratio of salt, sugar, and fat. Mm -hmm. So the idea is... There is this maximum amount of salt, sugar, and fat that is just to the edge of what is most delicious right. before it drops off into being cloying or whatever right. the fat and salt equivalent mm-hmm. of cloying are. Yeah. So this is something that really interests me, and I've been reading up on the Bliss Point as a concept. A lot of people are... Uh, accusing companies of using it to make foods addictive. Mm-hmm. I mean, they certainly use it to make f- foods delicious. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about foods, let's specify junk food. Yes, clearly. <laughs> it's clearly because you can't manipulate wholesome food this way. No. Right? This is no. about things in packages with ingredient lists, right? And I think wholesome food will generally... I mean, I think you could probably create a bliss point by by mixing them, but foods will generally have either like a, a lovely amount of fat That's or right. a lovely amount of salt That's right. or a lovely amount of sugar, but uh, rarely the three right. in this perfect yeah, combination. This trinity of things. Yeah. Yeah. So it... Uh, I really thought it was fascinating uh, just I, to know that this was a thing and that this was a place and a point and, 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 and a notable goal. Yeah, and right? a manipulation. It is a deep manipulation. <laughs> there's no, there's no, uh, there's no uh, question about that. What I was curious about is this bit about the about it targeting the reward zone in the brain, mm-hmm. right? Because there's it's it echoes to me of that conversation about treats yes. and that sweet things are treats and that you get kids, you know, we give them lollipops for doing thing, you know, for having mm-hmm. to getting a shot or going to the dentist or whatever it is, uh, and that that it, it it seems to me like it makes sense to perpetuate the cycle. Yes. Right. That seems like the the tool, the mechanism is about a reward. You deserve a break. Mm -hmm. You deserve a tree been working hard. Yes. And the the other piece of this, which is really interesting, is there is a biological component. Okay. So just like we were talking about in the last episode, the second stomach, Mm -hmm. we are again, our bodies are wired to seek out sugar to seek out uh, salt yes, yes, and yes. to seek out fat. Right. These are the three things that our body looks for. Right. This is a staying alive thing. It's again right. biologically yeah. wired right. evolutionarily. Evolution. I'm so proud that I can say that word now. <laughs> Took a little practice. So the idea is really exploiting the fact mm-hmm. that our, our bodies just naturally, you know, want sugar. Right. They want salt. be hungry And they for want these. fat. These were necessary to our survival right. back then. So now that they're exploiting that just to get it to the maximum place possible, which I think is part of the reward experience. Mm-hmm, Your mm-hmm. body's saying, yes, you done good. You got me everything yes, I need. Yes, yes. Although the other thought that I had when I read this is mm-hmm. 
that this really just appears to be attempting to cultivate a dopamine addiction. Interesting. Right? Essentially, because the, the sugar nod is about release of dopamine, right? Which is that pleasure, satisfaction, accomplishment, whatever it is, right? Uh, Yeah, and that's what a lot of people are accusing junk food companies mm -hmm. of doing, is making their food addictive. Yeah. I think um, we're kidding ourselves if we imagine there's none of this strategy. There's a blurred line here between Mm -hmm. uh, great flavor and this sort of addictive hook, right? Because the cook inside of me, I'm always trying to create great flavor. Everything I do is about creating a delicious flavor, Mm -hmm. but I never have the thought about uh, hooking somebody in, you know what I mean? Or, right. or, or, or trapping somebody or, or you know, c- catching somebody the same way because I don't necessarily, like, I don't know, it's because I don't necessarily want to s- need to sell them more of anything. Well, that's the thing. Or, you know, You're not mass producing, Not mass producing right? anything. I'm just having you know, this is, a, yeah. you know, junk food. So the whole idea is you can't have just one, right? That's it. You have one and your body just thinks, ooh, that was perfect. It has everything I need, biologically speaking, yes. and I feel my dopamine rush. I feel great about it. I'm going to have some more. So on that point, the mm-hmm. cook inside of me and the flavor chaser inside of me mm-hmm. was very curious about the criteria around this bliss point, mm-hmm. right? And what that maximum flavor is that keeps you back at it, right? Because right. in the piece, they talked about cherry vanilla Dr. Pepper, yeah, yeah. Howard right? Moskowitz says that's his crowning, and that that is like yeah, that that is the glory. example. So, and then they talked about Cheetos mm-hmm. being perfect because of the flavor content and the way they melt on your right. Yeah, and I it had been a while since I'd eaten either of those things, so I picked them up. Oh, so you want to taste? Uh, and what, I want to taste bliss a bliss point okay, now that I have it. a conscious understanding of what it is. Uh, so here is a can of cherry vanilla Dr Pepper. Amazing. I have to admit, I have never had cherry vanilla. And me Dr. neither. Pepper. Me neither. I've never had cherry vanilla Dr. Pepper. I don't think it, I knew it existed. Me, me neither. Oh, cheers. Uh, cheers. Uh, but to, th- to remember, like, it's not just a new flavor. It's a, it's a, it's a carefully crafted bliss point. That's an intense cherry on the nose there. Oh, it sure is. Plus, it doesn't really go anywhere. I mean, maybe I'm asking no. too much of, of Dr. Pepper. I mean, there's, there's a complexity there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's no fat or salt, so I'm guessing this Mm-mm. is the bliss point. Just this is the sugar, sugar wise. Point, yeah. Um, Curious though, because Dr Pepper itself has a cherry lean. Does it? You know, as it is, the, is a cherry ish. So clearly, I am out of my element. Right, they found yeah. something mm. that the cherry is compelling. Yeah. Right, and then the vanilla is a curious addition because in this context, it's just adding sweetness, just not the same way corn syrup. Add sweetness. Yeah. Right? And I feel like it's almost adding a richness mm-hmm. as well. Like I an, think you're an, right. An, a, uh, much sweeter than my personal bliss point. I'm, uh, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Uh, I would hazard that mine is probably lower than yours. Yeah, I think based you're on experience. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my, I, my bliss is not in this cup, Morella. That's no. the truth. Let's, uh, uh, let's explore the Cheetos. We have the Cheetos here. Another bliss point. Now this, I'm getting, I'm guessing this is going to be a salt and fat. Yes. Right? Salt and fat bliss point. All right. And classic the textural Cheetos. thing. Warning, dangerously cheesy. I have to make a confession. Because mm-hmm. in reading this article, obviously they were talking also about manipulating people with textures. Mm-hmm. 
The most addictive feature of Cheetos is the fact that it dissolves in the mouth, which tricks the brain into thinking that no calories have been consumed. Ah, no! And pretty much forever, I have always felt better about eating Cheetos than eating chips. Oh my goodness. And I have always instinctively felt that it was better for me. And I have on repeated occasions turned the two containers around, you know, turned the bags around for the chips and the Cheetos and the calories are the same. The, you know, the The fats are the same. Everything. Yeah. It's not, but there, there was something hardwired in me that always believed they were healthier. And when I read this, I just felt so manipulated. You're like, I'm a sheep. Yeah. Uh, Still interesting though, because the dissolve on the tongue, it really did happen. Oh yeah, right. It really did happen. That this is a this is a quality this is more, snacking product. This is more my bliss. Me point. too. Me the too. Fat, the fat Me salt. Too. Uh, um, I will play this game for sure. Um, and I'm definitely reaching for more. Uh, yeah. They've uh, they've been saying. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You're here indulging we go. Me, here indeed. indeed. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> indeed. So I came across this company. I had to forward it to you right yeah. away. I could not believe it. Uh-huh. It was really interesting, this. Yeah. So it's a company called Atomo. They're based in Seattle. Yep. And they're making coffee without beans. Coffee with... Tell me more. They're a molecularly reconstructing coffee, reconstructing its aroma, reconstructing its flavor, and of course, adding the caffeine in. And their whole idea is to make coffee with no beans and no bitterness. Yes. Was the other piece right. that I was found interesting. very... I mm. didn't connect when I read that in the piece, the mm-hmm. bitterness piece, and that the arrival of the milk and sugar mm-hmm. in a coffee was about combating the bitterness. It makes perfect sense, but I had not really thought that through that way before. Right. I mean, they did studies and they found that 68% of coffee drinkers don't like the bitterness of coffee. Mm-hmm. And to me, that explains how many people are drinking Coca-Cola. Right. Uh, and yes. finding other sources of, of caffeine. caffeine. And it's very interesting to me that there's this whole group that are addicted to the caffeine and to the coffee, but they don't actually like the... Because mm-hmm. to me, bitterness is an inherent part of coffee. Coffee should not be overly bitter, but yes. there definitely needs to be bitterness uh, in the balance. So I, I completely of the agree coffee. with you. I completely agree with you. So, yeah, it's interesting because they did. So, their whole point with the bitterness, which I felt was a little bit manipulative, is that climate change is affecting the coffee plants. And okay. that is uh, ca- causing the coffee beans to ripen too quickly. It's degrading the flavor, and that's what's increasing the bitterness. Oh, I see. So they are trying to, in their consumer's consciousness, right, uh, have them equate bitterness with a bad coffee. Yes, which I, I think see. is a is a bit of a stretch. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, and there's like a little like human arrogance connected to that with the yeah. like, this is a naturally occurring thing, but we, uh, we've decided that it's undesirable and we're going to weed that's it out right. somehow. Right? That's right. I mean, right. there is some truth to what they were saying, but you know, bitterness in coffee, like the, an unpleasant bitterness is you more often than not caused by, you know, people over brewing it or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, or human poor roasting error, or something. poor roasting, yeah. uh, Dirty equipment, all, all that yep. kind of, you know, the coffee lingering in the equipment. Right. Um, but, yeah, so then, of course, they did taste tests and people preferred the Atomo coffee, but they they prepped everyone with this bitterness piece. And so everyone felt, you know, 
people are going to lean towards the option that is less bitter. Mm-hmm. Not me, but, but me neither. Uh, but I, I felt like that was cheating a little bit. I think it is a little bit, but I, I maybe I just have more, more, more love to keep the nuances of flavor alive. Uh, when I when I read it and I thought about it, my first instinct was, "This is crazy. Mm-hmm. This is nuts. What are we doing?" Um, but that we cannot deny the fact that our collective addiction to coffee is here to stay. Right? Yeah. That is not going anywhere. No, it's increasing. Uh, and if this reality of climate change and climate change's impact on coffee plantations and the growth of these beans is being, you know what I mean, is being harmed, then we're clearly going to need a solution. And so this feels like a good one. For sure. I mean, it is one solution. Again, I feel like they're manipulating the facts Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. I did uh, as much of a dig as I could. There isn't that much information out there. But, you know, they're really talking about deforestation as a big issue. And deforestation became an issue when coffee production ramped up. So deforestation yes. is already an issue, not including right. climate so change. Right, so it's not necessarily a, n- it's a new thing. huge increase right. in coffee consumption, which is causing this issue. And if anything, interestingly, the coffee community is taking climate change very seriously. Mm-hmm. And it has triggered all kinds of uh, conferences, all kinds of initiatives to find more sustainable ways to grow coffee. And I'm not going to say that the climate change is is not causing issues. Uh, A lot of, I guess, uh, the coffee needs a certain temperature to grow and the temperature is getting too hot so that some of them are trying to move their their fields to areas that are are, more more appropriate. And that is causing some deforestation. But... Um, you know, to, I mean, it's a very real issue, but I, they were, again, they're, they're manipulating. Yes. These are, these are marketeers. Totally. I, I became aware of it out of the gate when the, <laughs> they did a video and the first thing they said was, we are the Tesla of coffee. Oh, uh, there we go. I was like, That's okay, the truth. I, I see where you're going. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I am wondering about is the, uh, long-term impact of drinking a simulation. Right. What are, what is it made of? Yeah. They will not share. It, there was I was like there was, there was distinctly no information. A about lot of what vague language yes. around uh, plant based byproducts. Yes. Starting with plant materials, oh, no. uh, which is you know very vague and could yeah. go anywhere. I agree. Uh, and also you know no mention of they mentioned the caffeine, but there are other health benefits to coffee. Yes. And we don't know if these will uh, this molecularly right. reconstructed we'll version that. So, um, and, yeah. And like, what if? Yeah. Down, we don't know. Generations down. We're, we're seeing so many things now mm-hmm. that are impacts of decisions that we made a couple of generations ago about our food system and about what we eat and drink. What would it be if we've been drinking like a reasonable facsimile, if we start drinking this reasonable facsimile of coffee? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's actually going to happen? You know, what's, you know, 20 years down the road. And why are they not being transparent with their ingredients? Yes. That is more the concern. Very good for question. Me. If the, your whole thing is about being a better sol- yes. solution, a better alternative. And some sustainability, yeah. You know, I would definitely try it. Yes. I'm absolutely curious and I do like the spirit behind it. I totally. think it's good me to have too. different solutions to this very real issue. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Like you said, first instinct. Creepy. Yes. Okay. 
So I found this piece and I had to bring it to conversation here, right? It is, uh, it was like a, it was like a press release about the fact that Dunkin' Donuts, very famous U.S. donut chain, Mm -hmm. is now serving something they're calling snacking bacon. Snacking Right, exactly. Snacking bacon. Just on its own. Just on its own. So when you see the photo, it has that same like cardboard uh, box or like a sleeve that a fries can come in. Mm -hmm. But there's like six strips of cooked bacon. Okay. Right? Great. Um, what I thought, like the, like the bacon, we've seen the bacon and everyone loves eating the bacon. But what I think was interesting was that with the accompanying messaging and the tone of this really mm-hmm. struck me, um, because it was, first of all, they were suggesting that bacon and coffee are somehow some sort of renowned classic pairing. Yes, they had uh, right? specific coffees that they recommended. Precisely. I think there were some of their flavored iced coffees. I know, coffees. which I was yeah. like, come on, you got to be mm-hmm. kidding me. Uh, right. The other thing that they said, which is curious, is we believe the best way to enjoy bacon is simple. Eat it. Mm. And that really got me thinking. Right. Because the intention and the tone there is like there's more there than there's yeah. more there than just here. Have something to eat. Well, in the climate of all these uh, meat substitutes and I people trying so. to move away I from meat, so. it's a bold statement to say, just eat the bacon. This is it. Although at the same time, my mind went to the the keto diet and carb-free diets. Uh, Of course. For for those people, just eat the bacon makes sense. Except in this case, the bacon is coated with a sugar. Yes, it is. uh, Coating, which I'm pretty sure is not keto or carb-friendly. Sugar, uh, brown sugar and pepper. Something like that. It's actually bacon that is in one of their breakfast sandwiches. And they recommend it with this uh, very sugary iced Beverage, right. But what I loved about it was this positioning as an afternoon snack. Yes. Right. So right the idea for that, that is, three, four o'clock yeah. slump. So right. in the morning, have your coffee and your donuts. And then in the afternoon, come back. Hmm, we have this your, other thing that's bacon you know, just a perfect snack for you. Yeah. Okay. Here's what drove me nuts. Talk to me. I, I don't know. I don't know if you can solve this or yeah. if you have a gut instinct. But I looked at more than 10 articles and could not figure out if they're serving these hot or cold. Oh, that's a really good question. Because the recommendations specifically are iced coffee. You're right. With it. I put that in the press release, guys. Yes. We, please. It's true. Makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. Uh, the fat, obviously, is the piece, right? And what's going to happen with the bacon fat in a hot cup of coffee Yeah. versus what's going to happen when it sort of solidifies a bit. With you as you slurp that that frozen coffee down. Right. And oh. I don't know, as a snack, I was thinking it could go either way. It could go either way. I don't know. Uh, although, curiously, it's sweet uh, because this really follows from your earlier suggestion that uh, cooked, not super greasy bacon is an allowable finger food. Oh, you are. Yes, that is. Right? From our earlier conversation. Indeed. Oh, good uh, right? for you, Duncan Donuts, that for being indeed, I know. I know. Yes. I thought that was quite a, quite lovely and appropriate. <laughs> so it's it's important to note that this is about a U.S. story, right? Because Dunkin' right. Donuts has pulled out of Canada just over a year ago, um, which makes sense. I mean, Tim Hortons yeah, is major. Gonna... Although, mm-hmm. how long do you think before Timmy's... Uh, advertises their own snack and bacon. Right, right? Canadian they, bacon. Canadian bacon is a huge thing, although it's not what Americans think that it is. Um, but 
at the same time, we know Tim Hortons has recently taken all of the Beyond Meat products off of their menu, perhaps making them much more inclined to put a weird paper sleeve of bacon. And then we can find out. If it's hot if or it's cold, because I really need to know. <laughs> if you're enjoying our podcast, please support us at patreon.com slash hotplatepod. Hotplate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at hotplatepod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Thanks for listening.